All right, uh, let, let's get started here. This is Colin Shots. I'm Seth Partnow, joined uh, in, a, in a rare uh, three-person uh, conversation today. First by the uh, um, the Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer for The Athletic, Kelsey Russo. Kelsey, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, thanks, thanks for coming on. And also um, uh, our former co-worker at The Athletic and now um, – uh, Raptors and every other sport besides uh, expert for TSN, uh, Blake Murphy, coming to talk about the Raptors. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, yeah, it's uh, miss you guys at the Athletic. Definitely miss doing the deeper writing dives. But you know, if you guys if you guys need hockey and baseball takes, uh, Kelsey, we could talk about what the asking price is for Jose Ramirez. Yes, that sounds good. <laughs> I'm in. I have no idea what you guys are. T- you could have just you could make up any name and say it's a baseball player, and I, and and I would I would be able to disagree with you. Uh, so let's talk about I basketball. Did that yes, with leaguers at one point, and earlier this year, the Raptors beat the Jazz in a game where the Jazz were playing like it was one of those COVID games where the Jazz only had like eight bodies, and like Trent Forrest had like thirty shots or whatever. And I worked in a fake name in with all the other names just to see if anyone would notice and it got people pretty good so we could do this across all sports actually <laughs> <laughs> it becomes like the old uh, the old un uh, the unlicensed video games where they it's exactly. clear what the name is but uh, yeah, yeah exactly what's the most like the most famous one is like i think it was like it's like uh it was steve mcdyke uh mcmichael become became sleeve mcdyke on like one of the tech <laughs> anyway i don't know how it we how we got Michael there uh, just being roster players that's right. <laughs> Roster 23. Um, so, Rookie of the Year. Uh, speaking of Michael Jordan. No, that's a bad, terrible segue. Um, <laughs> I think for most of the year, uh, Evan Mobley has been sort of uh, penciled in for the award. Um, but Scotty Barnes has had a really good year, too. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are many Raptors partisans who um, are – would argue for him and are not so quick to concede the argument. So I just wanted to have the two of you on to talk about what you've seen from, from those, those rookies and, and we'll kind of go from there. So let's start with, let's start with Evan Mobley, who I think has, um, he had high expectations coming in, especially from kind of uh, draft Twitter who, who, who many people were actually like lobbying for him as the first overall pick. But I think it's safe to say that as a rookie, he's exceeded everything we could have expected from him. Yeah. I, um, from my perspective too, like I, I, I definitely agree. I think like, you know, coming in, you sort of like, like I saw him at summer league, obviously and the, and the, the draft prep, but like um, then like seeing him just kind of come in from day one, basically first game and just have the, the impact that he had and that it's been very consistent throughout the season has really stood out to me. Um, and just like, I know it sounds like it's like such coach talk, but it's like the impact on winning, you know, and, and he has that. And it's just been really interesting to watch like how um, just the way that like on both ends of the floor, he has that impact, whether it's, you know, defensively helping protect the paint and the rim offensively, like the passes he makes, the reads he makes. Um, he's just really kind of has an awareness that I think is pretty unique. So it's it's been interesting to watch. And he's sort of there, there's a, a general rule that rookies are terrible at defense, and yes. he has certainly um, not just you, you know showed potential, but he's been actively good on defense. Um, the player who like the, the sort of facile comparison 
coming in was maybe a little bit of Jaron Jackson. And mm. this this is like the first year where Jaron Jackson has sort of started to deliver on kind of that that promise. But Evan Mobley has, has sort of hit the ground running and done it from year one. Yeah, and I think like, especially, you know, the Cavs did, were not great defensively last year. And he's like one of the reasons why like they've, you know, um, been able to have such a solid defense this year and be able to like build their identity around the defensive end of the floor because of just how he comes in and, and he's able to along with Jarrett. And I think the pairing like works really well um, of like how they, they just take up so much space on the floor and he uses his length really well. He uses athleticism really well. Like um, the way that he, and I think it's just so interesting the way that he can like contest and block shots and like keep his, like fouls his like personal fouls down is really interesting especially for like such a young guy being able to come in the league and and do that on a nightly basis i mean that's obviously a a strong a big a big uh, point of contrast with jaron jackson who up until this year was kind of one of the foulest players in the nba um yeah like i want to switch over to, to scotty barnes um he was a player that I, I think that that we probably knew less about coming in um, part of that is, you know, the way Florida State plays. They don't really feature anyone uh, quite the same way that that many other schools do. So he was a, he was a bit unknown, and it was a it was a, a mild surprise when the Raptors took him forth. But uh, he's been he's been really good this year. What uh, what what would you expect in coming in, and what has he shown you that's that's been surprising? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a blast, honestly, to to track him over the course of the year and, and even as far back as summer league. Obviously, raised some eyebrows with what was perceived as a top four draft, and the Raptors. You know, the the buzz leading up to it was like, uh, we kind of see this as a top five, and number five, not Kaminga. Like this could be a thing, and leave it to the Raptors to go off board a little bit, even with the even with a pick as high as number four. So um, Mobley's been awesome as well. I was a big advocate for the Raptors trying to trade up to get whatever pick would land them, Evan Mobley. But man, if Scotty Barnes hasn't uh, hasn't made it as close as possible. So, you know, I, I think everyone can understand Mobley's impact on what's been one of the best defenses in the league in the Cleveland Cavaliers, where the Raptors have been a little more up and down. I don't know if Scotty Barnes' ability to impact the game has been quite as highlighted um and it's actually something that around all-star break you know it was uh maybe not a question mark about Barnes long term but one of the talking points was hey you've shown all this good stuff you've scored better scored better than anyone anticipated the passing's there but you know impact wise and on off wise and metrics wise you weren't really driving winning yet which again totally understandable most rookies don't right um in the time since He's been huge in that regard. He's closed the gap with Mobley in terms of a lot of the impact metrics. Um, you know, his on-off stuff has gotten where you'd like it to be. And one of the things that I think speaks really highly to, to Scotty Barnes' season is that the Raptors have had a pretty good record when Pascal Siakam's out, when OG Ananobi's out, when Fred Van Bleet's out. And some of the idea with how they built this roster is, yes, guys are interchangeable role-wise, but Scotty Barnes has been interchangeable, not only role-wise, but in terms of, hey, workload-wise. Some nights you're a 15% usage guy. Some nights you're a 22% usage guy. Some nights you're guarding centers. Some nights you're guarding shooting guards. And, um, you know, wh- wherever you land on, on Mobley Barnes and or Mobley Barnes-Cade, I think Scotty Barnes has probably had 
I'd say the the most difficult diet when it comes to what role he's playing. I know his usage is the lowest, so that maybe raises an eyebrow. But they asked Scotty Barnes to do something a little different just about every night. And there are very few of those assignments he hasn't looked game for. I mean, I think that's the that's the really interesting thing is about Barnes is just how many what a Swiss Army knife he's had to be. Yeah. Um, which <laughs> You know, that, that's one of those things that you're mentioning, the impact metrics. That's, that, that's one of those things that can actually subtly hurt a player is if you're not exactly sure what he's best at, but he can do a lot of different things. It might take a little bit to figure out, like, what the actual best way to Right, exactly. And I think this year for the Raptors is about not only finding out what the best way to use him is, but empowering him to kind of do everything while they figure it out. and. You know, some coaches I know, especially with young guys, what they like to do is, hey, here's your roll card. Here's two or three things we want you to focus on. And if you do well in those, we can expand it and try new things. And the Raptors approach has kind of been, and this is especially true with Barnes, but it's been true with Siakam and Ananobi and other guys, is, hey, your roll card is limitless. And we'll pull stuff off of this roll card as we see that it's not working or it's not the right fit for you. But in the interim, if you're Scotty Barnes, you're allowed to throw skip passes to the other side, to the far corner when you're posting up. You're allowed to throw no-look reads in semi-transition. And if you make mistakes, they'll live with that because you're trying to see, you know, everything that could stick there. And, And I think offensively, that stuff's really easy to see. People who tune in can see, oh, Scotty Barnes is not only you know, handling the ball. He's also the shortest guy on the floor at six foot eight in this lineup. Um, You can see him handling the ball and doing different things offensively, but they've done that same thing defensively where, you know, some nights he's the weak side helper. Some nights he's kind of roving as a center fielder. Um, You know, some nights he's kind of the traditional rim protector dropping back and pick and roll. They ask him to do a lot of different stuff defensively, um, you know, as OG and Pascal come in and out of the lineup, as they, gain faith in Precious Achua as part of the defensive core too. So um, it's been really, it, it's obviously, it's harder to verbalize. We don't, we don't quite have the vocabulary for, for that on defense that we do on offense, uh, but it's been really cool to see him used in a bunch of different ways that way too. Um, you know, there's been more ups and downs defensively than offensively, which is a little surprising given what we knew about him. Um, but it's been really cool to watch him try all those different things. So one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll bring both of you in. And, and folks who are listening along, uh, uh, please raise your hand if you've got a question for any of us, uh, and, and, and we'll get to it uh, when there's a pause. But you mentioned that the, the, he's like the shortest guy in the lineup is 6'8". Um, every time I watch the Raptors play, he, like, he, he's one of those players who somehow looks much larger than he is. Is, am I, is that something I'm imagining? Like every time I see them play, I, I the impression is he's about nine feet tall running around out there. Is, am, am I just imagining something, or is there something about the way he sort of moves about the court that that just makes him have a larger physical presence? I, I think there's a couple. There are a couple things here, and uh, I think that one is his listing at six foot seven is just wrong. I don't know if he grew. I don't know if he stretched over over the off season or you know the some of the body work allowed him to be a little longer. Uh, I don't believe that he's six foot seven. Uh, I also don't believe that OG Ananobi's six foot seven. So I actually think all the guys actually are six foot nine um, and they're all the same size. But no, there's, there's that with Barnes. There's the fact that 
his hands are massive. So he has like a, a long, phys- like a big physical presence to him. Um, and then the other part of it too is, is that I think with how broad his shoulders are, you can almost like, I, this is weird to pick up in real time, but like you can almost project ahead just how big he's going to be or could be. Like this is still a guy that, you know, his lower half's not huge or anything like that. There, there's a lot of room to continue to add strength, even though he can already do some of the bully ball stuff. Uh, he's just, yeah, he's a large dude. And I think he's he's only going to get larger, um, you know, not in a, hey, bulk up to be, to bang with centers kind of way, but, you know, fill out through the shoulders, add some strength in the lower half. I, I think he's going to be a huge dude to uh, to sum it up. So this is a question for kind of both of you is, is it seems like that, like how much of the, the narrative of, of like Mobley running away with the award and then uh, um, Barnes kind of coming back into it is uh, as much a reflection of sort of how the season has gone for the two respective teams. Obviously, you know, Cleveland's, you know, decline over the last, I don't know, what would you say? Six weeks or two months has been um, just, they've been, just beaten with the injury stick. Um, whereas the Raptors have, they really seem like they found something um, in the new year. Um, and, and, you know, some of, obviously some of that is, is, is Barnes specifically, but I think it's, it's the team as a whole has just been, has been in, in a, in a better spot. Um, how much of that is due to these individual players and how much of it is just sort of the happenstance of that's the way the season has flown. I can start. I think it's kind of, honestly like a combination of both because like I think part of it you know like really does rely on the success of the team and like how how that's played out like you know the narrative of the Cavs from the beginning was like if they make the play in that's going to be a huge step in their growth and then they come out and they like are winning all of these games they're they're using this three-man big lineup that's just like dominating defensively and they they're winning yeah they, they're just winning all these games they've blown away all these expectations you know like they have 41 wins this season and like right now obviously you know they're in the um um like they are the seventh seed so they're at the playing tournament so like well, obviously like you said with the decline like it's been a little bit um it's kind of been a little shaky at the moment but early on it was like this has been such a successful season for them and like Evan's role in that success, like kind of has like, and from the beginning, you know, like, like I said earlier, just kind of the way that he came in from the get-go, there really was no like adjustment to um, the league for him. It really seemed like, like he just sort of like fit in right away and he never really hit a huge um, rookie wall and like, or really even like at all, like obviously like when they, like there was a decline as a team defensively and he was a part of that. Um, but like at the moment, like he, there wasn't like he actually hit like a, this massive rookie wall. So I think it's a combination of both. And I think like Evan's like early success um, this season kind of like also helped the Cavs narrative on the flip side. So I think it was kind of a combination. Uh, Blake, let's get you take a swing at that, and then uh, we'll bring Ali up for for his question. He's been a very uh, devoted listener of the pod, so I want to definitely want to make sure that uh, he gets his question in. But uh, what what do you think about the you know what has happened for the Raptors to kind of I don't want to say turn their season around, but sort of take a step forward? And how is that either the result of Barnes or has kind of helped his candidacy? 
Yeah, I think, you know, the thing Mobley has going in his favor is that the early narrative is sticky, right? And the Cavs were outperforming the Raptors early on. Mobley was outperforming Barnes. You know, Barnes had this hot start to the season where everyone had to open their eyes at his scoring ability, but they didn't maybe necessarily, you know, Mobley was driving winning at a higher degree. Cleveland had that early win against Toronto. Uh, Maybe that helps as well. And, And then there was, you know, maybe a month there where Scotty Barnes seemed to hit the rookie wall or whatever you want to call it a little earlier than Mobley. Um, you know, I think more recently the two things are happening at the same time. And one is Cleveland's coming down to earth a little bit. And within that, I think you're seeing, and look, this isn't fair to hang on a rookie because no rookie drives defense to the level Evan Mobley has. Um, but you do see, Hey, Jared Allen's not there anymore. And earlier Ricky Rubio and the Cavs haven't been quite as sturdy. So maybe, you know, maybe Mobley wasn't as ready to change defensive roles from, you know, co-anchor to anchor. You could you could say something like that. At the same time, Scotty Barnes has kind of peaked at the right time, having two of his biggest scoring nights right out of the All-Star break, driving those impact stats and just driving winning a little bit more than we saw in the first half. I personally think it's probably going to be too little too late for Barnes. The betting markets would tend to agree with that. Um, but I do think that, you know, we talk a lot about primacy effect and how that early narrative is sticky, but recency effect is the real thing too. And, you know, Barnes is having the stronger close here. So I, I do wonder if he's at least forcing voters to, you know, reopen the, the book on it and kind of take a second look just to make sure. Uh, I want to come back to what you said about uh, about sort of the the roles and 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 Mobley playing alongside Allen. But uh, first, let's get to to Ali's question. Yeah, hey, Seth. thank you, thank you for uh, bringing me up. Uh, my question was about uh, Barnes being a Swiss Army knife, like you said. Uh, how much does it like impact his numbers and his metrics, and how much does it impact his growth as a player? I mean, if what like wouldn't it, it be better if uh, uh, like they focused his growth on like ball handling and half court playmaking? And one other question, sorry for too many questions. Um, um, historically, um, <clears throat> who are the most similar players in their rookie years to? Barnes or um, uh, Mopley? It's, I know it's just a silly question. I wanted to know, but like, um, how how you can project them? Uh, I'll I'll take a swing at the the um, the sort of the metrics part of that, and then I think I'll let uh, let let Blake and Kelsey answer some of the developmental stuff. Um, so this is this is an interesting sort of um, uh, paradox about some of the about like. Is, is versatility can actually hurt a player's in impact metrics. Like I, I mentioned it earlier, but the example I like to use is say like one player has a very obvious role and he's a plus three player in that role. Um, and another player is, has a role that he's best at where he's plus four and another role that he's also very good at where he's plus one. Uh, now the first player who has the very obvious role is just going to be in that plus three all the time. So he's going to grade out as a plus three. Whereas the other player if he's 50-50 between the role he's great and the role he's just good, is going to show up as a, you know, a plus two and a half. So the other guys have been more impactful, but I don't think, you know, in terms of building a basketball team, I don't think that you would say that he's somehow worse because like he's able to do this other thing well enough that it's plausible that he can do it. So that's, I mean, um, you know, a player who's probably at times in his career been 
been hurt by this from an impact standpoint is on who can like do all he can play some point guard he can be a primary scorer he can be a, a defensive anchor and which one is his best role at any given time it's kind of hard to say but so it's so he's often deployed in roles that are helpful for the team but maybe maybe not his individual most impactful role so that's you know i think so i think your your point is is well made because you know, Barnes is sort of unformed and can do all these things. So figuring out exactly how he's used is a, is a challenge, but it's a, it's a good problem to have. I would agree with that. And I, I think, you know, it's uh, that versatility and being used in different ways. Ali, to your question is, you know, you, you kind of framed it specifically as developmentally. And I, I think, Rookie of the year is obviously the award is not who's going to be the best player eventually. That's that's what the draft is for. Uh, that's what all our redraft exercises is for. So I, I do think Seth lays out a way and, and like a good stats-based way that, hey, this could hurt a guy like Scotty Barnes, maybe. And, and we probably don't have enough sample of him just playing a standard, a more set Mobley-like role to say, oh, Barnes would have been better in that role. But when you're throwing a ton of stuff at a rookie – you know, physically and mentally, I, I think you can, you know, extrapolate that, hey, role solidity would be helpful to a rookie's performance. Now, developmentally, long-term, I think, yeah, this is great for him. I think it gives the team a ton of information about what he can and can't do at this stage and what he's showing potential with. I think for him, it shows a huge, huge ability to absorb a lot of information and process the game at a really high level that hey the Raptors defense in its base is not a very easy defense to step into we've seen centers struggle to step in we've seen fringe bench guys you know just not be able to to crack Nick Nurse's rotation in a way he's comfortable with defensively so Barnes being able to do that and being able to entrust it to do it at huge huge volume like no rookie playing this many minutes except for Franz Wagner um, you know you got to go back to like Andrew Wiggins or Dame for the last time a rookie played this much uh, let alone played this much in a winning environment. So uh, I think it's going to be great for him long-term. I think the Raptors are probably always now going to lean into this hyper-versatile two-way style of play. And Barnes getting all these reps, playing every different position on the floor at both ends, uh, is only going to help him long-term. I think it, it's you've already seen how it's sped up his development a little bit defensively. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great. It might you know, sure, you can make the case that it costs him the rookie of the year at, at the margins or something like that. Uh, but I don't know that many people care if Scotty Barnes is playing at all NBA or, or at least all-star level, you know, quicker than he otherwise. So I think that, uh, Kelsey, to, I think that th- this question is actually a good way to get into um, sort of the the alongside Jaron Allen or not. Um, how has he held, how has Evan Mobley held up? Um, kind of having to be kind of more of the the full time anchor. Um, I, I think that the, it, it, you, you mentioned like the three big lineup. Um, that was something that in prospect before the season, it's like, oh, what are they doing? And it turned out that it was like the the almost the best possible uh, way to introduce him into the league since he is since he is you know still on the given how young he is on the slighter side. Um, what does it look like with without without Allen? Is it is it the kind of thing where Maybe he is um, someone who who should play alongside another another bigger player for the rest of his career, or or for for the foreseeable future. Or is that uh, is he growing into that that role as well? 
Yeah, I think it's and it's been an interesting thing to watch over this like stretch. So like, um, you know, because he's faced a lot of like really interesting guys. Like while Al was out, like he faced Jokic, he faced like Vucevic the other night. Like, um, you know, he's faced some really like he faced Embiid. Like he faced some really big centers, and like Evans not like uh, he's a really slim guy and so I think that's kind of where you noticed it a little bit more was the physicality aspect of it of just kind of like um like him being able to handle it to an extent but like at the same time like just kind of like there was just there was definitely a difference in the way that like those those guys are they're bulkier they they know how to use their bodies um down in the paint and at center and everything and, and Mobley was kind of like it, it kind of bothered him a little bit, but like, it was interesting because I asked him, you know, like how he was adjusting to the role, what, like everything. And, and he used to play center when he was younger, obviously, because he's so tall. So like he, he understands the mindset of it. Um, and I think he's grown through this stretch. Like, you know, he's posting up more, he's finding ways to, um, to work down in the paint and get to the basket a little bit more than I think we saw, like when he was next to Jarrett, um, obviously because Jarrett was, was down there so much. So like Mobley was a little bit like, like he was still in the paint, but there was, you know, the, obviously the two of them, they had to share that space. So now that it's just him, he's, he has posted up some more. And I think it's been interesting to watch that comfortability aspect and like how he is adjusting to it and, and finding ways to, to, you know, get his shots and, um, and just kind of succeed. Obviously it's, I think he works really well beside Jarrett. Um, and I think with how the Cavs want to run their defense and or how they want to play defensively and, you know, their two skill sets combined really plays well off of one another. And I w- don't know if I would say like that he has to be next to somebody for his, for his career, but it's worked really well this year, um, allowing him to not only like adjust to the league, um, but for the Cavs to use his versatility, and I think if he kind of played more at the five for like for a while, like for his career, it would sort of pigeonhole him a little bit versus when he's at the four, has the ability to go to the five. He has he can use his versatility and, you know, and his skill set and kind of adjust and play at those two positions. Um, but I think <laughs> honestly, like and I think we'll probably see it this summer, like I wouldn't be surprised if like you know, he bulks up a little bit and, you know, because, you know, he is so young and, and, um, in kind of just that first year, but like even in, so like, and so I had this conversation actually with an assistant coach a couple months ago, um, just about like how Evan was adjusting to the physicality of the league and, you know, playing against bigger guys. And, and it was interesting. He was like, well, you know, like Evan Ben's skinny and slim his whole life. You know, like this isn't like a new thing. So he he knows how to use his length, use his body in the way that like um, and kind of just like be successful in that and not necessarily need not that he doesn't need it, but like he doesn't he can't he can still be successful um, with, you know, with being skinnier and not have to be this like really bulky dude. So um, it's been kind of interesting to watch, though. And I think obviously they have taken a step back defensively without Allen um, through this stretch and really this stretch has shown just how much Jarrett means to the Cavs um, to be successful in the defensive end. But I don't really necessarily think it's a knock at Evan. Um, it's just like in it completely, it's kind of 
they've all taken a step back um, in a sense, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, you you take a you take a, someone who's playing at a borderline all defense level off the team, and almost regardless of position, uh, the team is gonna it's gonna suffer a little bit. I, I wanted to to sort of. Uh, touch on the the second half of, of Ali's question because I think that's a that's an interesting sort of uh, kind of developmental pathway for both players um, uh, first of all like the question of who do they comp to I, I'm not a big fan of st- stat comps for young players just because uh, I mean the context is is so important that it doesn't you know he put up these stats and that guy put up those stats um I, that doesn't really tell us much about like what the development they'll have going forward it's it's sort of a, a you know it's two season two season snapshots rather than any sort of career passing um in terms of though like how you would like just in terms of play style they're they're both reasonably unique players and just as we were talking about this like an, an image formed to mind is like like if you put the two of them together, they're almost like Voltron Giannis uh, in that Scotty Barnes has the ball handling and kind of the physicality. Um, whereas Mobley has sort of the, the all court defensive roving play playing on the perimeter and also protecting the rim at a high level. Plus the, the vertical threat. Um, am I crazy to, to kind of see that them as each like sort of one half of Giannis's game that way. And then, you know, what uh, like what do you see them developing into? I, I think, you know, what role does Barnes settle into over his career, and and for Mobley, what kind of um, especially offensive role? Like, what kind of a is he is he what kind of a, is he going to be a first option, second option, third option? I don't think we have a great handle on that yet. So either you want to start with any of the seven things. I- <laughs> well, I'll say I'll start with this much: is if either of these guys becomes even fractional Giannis. What a huge win in the uh, in the drafts for those teams. Um, it, it's exciting. And actually, Giannis is a guy that I think of when I mention, you know, Scotty Barnes's uh, ability or, or the way it looks like he'll project to add size. Um, you know, that's, that's one of the areas that it's really exciting, right? As we see how a guy like Giannis um, is able to grow physically, but also grow in how he handles contact and how he invites contact even uh, as a way of getting free throws. Yes. But also, you know, forcing tough decisions on a defense, becoming more matchup proof in that way. So, um, you know, I don't know that he'll have exactly a a Giannis like role, but I don't, I don't think, you know, Giannis averages what a little under six assists a game. I don't know that that's entirely out of the realm of possibility for Scotty Barnes. Uh, I think, you know, it'll depend a little bit on how the Raptors deem their timeline and build around him where, you know, as currently constructed, he's going to be part of a three-headed, you know, lead ball handler setup with Fred VanVleet and Pascal Siakam. Um, I think that's probably the the best for him right now. But I think, you know, a Scotty Barnes-led offense might have him getting five, six assists a game, something he's shown he can do relatively often and and, you know if there's any amount of Giannis like growth in terms of uh finishing and and contact and things like that you know I already feel like the sky's the limit but when someone as smart as Seth Partnow throws out a Giannis comp uh you know I'm gonna get even more excited uh, well, that, that's that's style as much as achievement. I know, so I don't want to. I don't want to. Like, let's not. You know, that's why yeah, you know cops are dangerous. Because all that this all yeah. that this whole hour is going to be is just a tweet. Seth Partnow says Scotty Barnes is Giannis. 
you you know how you know. I'm going to hear go. about that from I'm going to hear about that from from folks in the organization if that if that's what get, gets aggregated. <laughs> I mean, so, I I I like the comparison of uh, Giannis and Evan. That's that's especially on the defensive end, like stylistically. Um, I think that's interesting, um, and I also feel like Cavs fans will love that. So, <laughs> um, and I but that's your point about like. Uh, Mobley's growth on the offensive end like I feel like over time I feel like it's a little hard it's a little hard to say in a sense but I feel like he'll probably he like he could really be a really like could settle into like a second option role Uh, because like there's a lot of potential on the offensive end for him and you know like working on his mid-range shot he's working on three-point shooting like there's just different things that I think are still really like there's there's areas of his game that they can tap into um, on the offensive end, and which just adds even more so like uh, to the versatility of his game. But that's where really the growth is for him is on the offensive end of the floor, and I think something we'll look for, you know, like next year and everything. Um, so like I think it'll be like it's just something like an interesting development to watch throughout his growth and like I guess to see like what happens over the summer of like where they focus really intentionally on the offensive end and like sort of you know obviously getting Jarrett back and everything so like how they then kind of continue that pairing um for him to be like and and where his spots are on the floor and everything so um it'll definitely be something to watch but like I could see more so like second option and like kind of just go from there um but you know, the, the, <laughs> I like the comparison of Giannis. I think that's a good one. I mean, there's there's downsides that I mean, if there's one, if there's one area where you can say that maybe he is disappointed a little bit, it's that the the, the jump shot hasn't really hasn't really come along yet. Absolutely, yeah. And I think it's been interesting to see, like, to sort of look at like uh, where that can grow. Yeah, because you would think more so that would be in his game. Um, and, and I don't know if it's, you know, I don't know if it's more so a comfortability thing, if it's more so because there was like a lot, you know, when you play three bigs, uh, just if they, there wasn't the opportunity there, you know, so it's just kind of, it'll be interesting to watch how that, and if it does um, increase and in, in how he grows in that, in that aspect. So that, I mean, you know, between these two players and, you know, if we're talking about who's going to be the best growing forward, um, I think you probably, it, it's probably only fair to bring Kate Cunningham back into the, the discussion. He, I mean, I think he had a rough enough first bit of the season to not be in sort of rookie of the year contention, but I think we have sort of three very different potential styles of players. So figuring out which of them is sort of the the best slash most valuable and or going forward between a guy who's obviously you know lead primary ball handler and and Cunningham a guy who's sort of a a hybrid Swiss army knife who can do a lot of different things and then more of a of a you know a a guy who you 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 would hope is a you know a defensive player of the year or thereabouts level player on that end and a efficient if not super high usage offensive player in Mobley so what the you know, I, I guess now is the part where I ask you to fight about about whose whose future is brightest. So um, whoever wants to take the first, yeah, I'll do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think 
the the biggest compliment you can pay to Scotty Barnes is that he's now in this conversation, right? I, I think there were enough questions about his scoring ability, you know, just how much the, the playmaking would translate if his scoring ability didn't translate, that he wasn't firmly in that discussion. He was kind of the top of the second tier. And I think the fact that it's now, uh, you know, in a redraft, it's Cade Mobley and Barnes in some order, one, two, three, is a huge testament to, to the work Barnes has already done. Um, you know, I, I'm very high on all three, of course. I, I do think with a player like Cade, his ability to be the center point of an offense gives him a higher ceiling where, you know, even in a bad environment this year where he hasn't been crazy efficient, you know, 17, six and six is pretty good. And you can see the ways that you could build an offense around him. And if he gets a capable pick and roll big with him, if he gets um, some shooters around him, he's also, you know, he's solid defensively kind of at worst. And I think he'll grow on that end. Um, You know, I, I still think the ceiling is highest with Cade, but the floor that, guys like Barnes and Mobley have with their size and their defensive ability. And even, you know, let's say neither really grows that much as a score, their ability even just to have enough handle to work DHO and both sides of the pick and roll and and do some improvisational stuff, their ability to finish around the rim. Like these guys are floor guys immediately in a way that I don't really remember seeing from rookies on good teams very much. So um, think the world of all three, but yeah, the, the ability for Cade to be, you know, Seth to borrow one of your terms, heliocentric offensively, uh, I, I think still leaves him with the path to the greatest upside. Yeah, I would, I would uh, echo what Blake said. And I think, I think especially a lot of it sometimes plays a, uh, I think position plays a factor kind of like you touched on Blake. Um, you know, like, because Cade has the ball in his hands more, you know, there's, there's more ability, um, you know, for him to facilitate or, you know, or get his own shots versus, you know, um, someone like Evan, obviously, you know, he's, he's, he's working with, with Darius and, and who's facilitating and everything. And so um, I think, you know, that's kind of where there's like a little bit of a difference. And I kind of talked about this or on something different, but like, you know, like that kind of, I think, plays a role in this as well when we talk about like rookie of the year is pos- their position. Um, and, but I agree. I think Cade really does have the highest ceiling of the three because there is, I feel like, a lot of room to grow as, you know, their facilitator, as their ball handler, and the way that he can like lead their offense and, and everything. Um, but like, I think Scotty and, Evan have really just showcased themselves really well in their specific roles on their specific teams and just like how they each can have a really important impact. And, you know, for like where the two of them are at the moment, like growth from here is going to be just like, is, is going to be added bonus, obviously, but like they've already made such an early impact that like they've showcased a lot of who they are. And then just growing on that is going to be just like a continued, um, like a continued bonus in a sense. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really interesting conversation. Um, and I think a lot of it too, like where Kate is in this discussion is like, I feel like obviously early on the, the ankle injury and, and missing a lot of time, you know, missing camp and, and coming into the season, like that obviously hurt him versus guys like Evan versus guys like Scotty just like came in from the jump and were able to like, acclimate really early you know versus someone like Cade had to like 
do so on the fly after the injury. And I feel like sometimes like that hurt him in this conversation versus then as he came out like later in the year, um, being as explosive as he is now and like, and just having the impact um, now is, is interesting to see how that sort of affected it. The the interesting thing to me about all three of them is, is how uh, um, Ben Taylor, like you likes to use the term scalability in terms of, uh, you know, there's some guys who, who, you know, they, they can, they can lift up a bad team, but you start to put other good players around them and it, and it, it's hard for them to continue to add as much value. I think all three really are, um, in, incredibly scalable. I mean, I think we, we've seen that a little bit already with, with Mobley in that, you know, he's already got his, he's already got his partner, uh, in, in Darius Garland, who is, who has been, you know, is kind of again showing that, that, uh, that a lot of these like serious knee injuries are really like a two year injury and that, you know, his rookie year, he was, he was still kind of working his way back and even into a little bit last year. And then second half of last year, he was really good in that carried forward to this year. Um, and, you know, Scotty Barnes's versatility kind of allows him to get plugged in anywhere. I think that the, the building challenge for the Raptors is, a, is the, the challenge is more challenging as I go purred happily. Um, but I mean, you, you have to have faith in that front office and, and Cade just, just watching him, like the number of the number of, Oh, that's a great pass that their non-shooters bricked. Um, has been a frustrating feature of watching the Pistons this year. But, I mean, obviously, as as more offensive talent, more finishing talent gets around him, you can really see how that, that could grow. Um, in terms of in terms of a question to get you guys to ask, I guess I'll start. I'll, I'll, I'll start with you, Blake. Is is how do you think the Raptors are going to move forward building around him? Like as I said, the Cavs have a have a pretty a uh, I think a a cl- not necessarily better, but a clearer development path in front of them. The biggest question for the Raptors, and Seth, you and I have talked about this before, and, and this is where Scotty Barnes is maybe changing the accounting most, is we came into this year being like, okay, Raptors, pick a timeline, right? Like, you've got Siakam and Van Bleed who aren't old, but they're really good now, and they're 28, and you moved off some of the more veteran pieces, and then you've got, you know, OG's only 24, and Gary Trent Jr. is only 23, and or just turned 24 the other day, no, just turned 23 the other day. Um, Precious is young, uh, Scotty Barnes is young, like, pick, Scotty Barnes is only 20 still, so there was a bit of pick a timeline, because maybe by the time your young guys are ready to contribute to winning, Siakam and Van Vliet are in the back part of their peak phase, right? And I think what Scotty Barnes' season and, and how quickly he's not only impressed at the gate, but improved over the course of the season, maybe they can marry those two timelines. Maybe it doesn't have to be one or the other. And you can be competitive now with an eye toward building around Scotty Barnes, but um, you know, not having to blow it up because I don't think this front office has the appetite for a, for a full teardown. And, and they've long been of the belief, not only does winning contribute to development, but you know, you might not be able to get bad enough with just how bad some of these teams are year to year. So um, that's a really tough question for them. And, and it's additionally difficult because they're, they don't project as a cap space team this summer. So you're looking at, you know, your ways to improve are through trade and through the mid-level exception and trying to hit on a second round pick that maybe isn't moving the needle for uh, a year or two down the line. So um, I think they're going to keep moving forward th- with this group. I think, they see a lot in Precious Achua, and, and we've seen obviously that defensively, but but 
the last little while offensively, it started to come a little bit. Um, you know, there's obviously not a lot you can do with the mid-level and, you know, the ability to sign and trade Thad Young to a deal with only one year guaranteed. Like, there, there aren't a lot of things like that. Um, but the Raptors have long believed that being good is your best path to being great. And I, I think they'll continue to follow that and try to marry these two timelines here where Scotty Barnes can, hey, crack a window open in the Fred Siakam core window. So, Kelsey, let me start with, with you on this. It's, it does seem like both teams have um, similar needs, and that's, you know, kind of mid-sized shooters. Um, now, the, the need for the Cavs is sort of more obvious because um, I think, especially after, you know, Colin Sexton's injury or more, more pertinently, Ricky Rubio's injury, that second guard spot has been a little, a little rough for them. And then, obviously, you know, Isaac Okoro, for as good defensively as he can be, uh, hasn't come along offensively as much as they would have liked. Um, so what kind of, like, where do you think they go from here? And do they just go try to add kind of a pure shooter or a secondary ball handler or what, what is, what is next for them? And how does that, like, how does Colin Sexton play into that? Yeah, this has been like, this is going to keep this so interesting over the summer because <laughs> I've been thinking about these questions for a while. So like, they brought, they traded for Karis because they saw the opportunity for a guy who was not only a scorer, but also could handle the ball and kind of take some pressure off of Darius Garland. And now, like when the two of them, when the two of them could play on the floor together, now defenses had to pick between the two of them. Like they had to make a decision and it kind of, it took some of that pressure off of Darius. Unfortunately, obviously this, like as the season has gone and with the injuries that the Cavs have dealt with, like Karis is just now getting a chance to like acclimate to the team really in this final stretch of the season, which is like, you know, obviously less than ideal. Um, they would have liked to be able to do so when he came in um, right before the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for them, a lot of the focus is still going to be on the wing. Like that's just kind of a position of need. They, they really have always, they've dealt with over the past couple of years. Um, but you know, that second guard spot is also really interesting because right. Like, um, you know, like Darius is up for, um, a extension this summer. And so like that plays a factor into this and like, and Karis is on contract for another year. And so like Colin playing into that is just kind of like, it's just an interesting factor. And I don't think there's a, a clear answer on it at the moment. Um, but like, you know, Colin has been in Cleveland. He was at shoot around yesterday and the other week and the other day um, over the weekend, you know, like he's been around the team. And um, so I think there's, they have to make some decisions at some point this summer um, or not even really the summer after the season's over, but like they have to address, um, continue addressing the wing spot. And then obviously that like second guard spot's going to be up on the table as well um, because they have to make a, a decision about Colin um, if they are going to like make him a restricted free agent or if he's just going to be unrestricted. So um, it's, it's been something I've kind of been mulling over for a while <laughs> of like, what is going to happen? And like, I don't know <laughs> if there's a clear picture because, because unfortunately, like I think it would help if they had like a, they had um, a bigger sample size of like Karis and Darius, you know, and, and that just hasn't been the case because of Karis's injury. Um, and, you know, they've seen like 
pockets of it and or certain games where Karras looks really good. He's the scorer that they need. They like in this, these moments, he can um, handle the ball really well, you know, like, and it allows Darius then to obviously hunt some shots more um, when, when Karras has the ball. And so it's just kind of an interesting thing of, as we go the rest of this season, if they make it to the play and if they make it, or I mean, if they make it to the playoffs or if they get stuck in the play and like how, that kind of uh, plays out. So a lot on the table. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, and that's sort of, that's sort of the, the, the story of Karis Levert's career a little bit is that yeah. there's like, mm-hmm. there's, there, there's stretches where, and I like, he's someone who I, for, for a number of years was, was like very much in on because in part he, he, like he, he picked a playoff series to have, you know, some of those, some of those moments where he seemed yes. like he was, he was in the lane at will. And, and, but then you look at the, the, like the bulk of his career and it's just like, that's very much a sometimes thing. And, um, and it's, and I, I, fair to say the Cavs haven't totally gotten the best out of him, uh, so far. Um, looking at the, at the Raptors, um, Obviously, like they they need depth, um, but they're in sort of a uh, um, an odd situation, and I want to anal- uh, like analogize to the Miami Heat. And this is a point I've talked about with the Heat a lot: is they have their they have their one way they want to play, and it's a lot of like physical, grindy, tough guys that doesn't have maybe enough shooting. Um, but then they have their shooters, and those guys can't necessarily play the grindy style. Um, you know, we start to bring in you know. Uh, whether it's it's Tyler Hero or Duncan Robinson or Max Struess or Gabe Vincent or whoever, um, you know, it's a giant target on their backs defensively. And we've seen that several times this year at the end of games where teams just run every action at whichever of those guys is on the floor. Um, so that so that's the question about, like, the Raptors, is adding guys who have the skill sets that fit with their sort of medium ball chaos thing but can also have the skill to – um, have someone else besides Fred VanVleet play point guard, and have have a, a more pure shooting on the floor than just Gary Trent. So, um, where do they go with that? I guess is my question, Blake. Yeah, that's a it's a hell of a question because they'll look at some guys and be like, "Ah, oh, Gary Trent Jr. You know, he does enough that we can turn him into someone who fits our defense." Um, you know, that's a little dicey as you go up the scoring totem pole, right? Like you're not. Like, I don't think Jordan Clarkson would get to play very much on the Raptors, even though his scoring would be really good for their second unit. Um, they tend to look at guys as like, you know, who? what is the, the offensive value of this guy beyond a bare minimum on defense? And they don't, yeah, they don't want to have a Duncan Robinson out there where a guy who's so valuable to your offense, and even with size, which is usually a little easier to hide on, on defense or at least find a spot for you know, the Raptors and the Raptors are not a team that has, you know, a ton of individual event creators. They ran the same action over and over again with Siakam, Van Bleed and Ananobi earlier in the season. And whoever got Robinson off the switches was there was who ran the offense. Um, so in terms of finding guys that fit, I do think there has to be a defensive floor. I, I think, you know, they'd probably go into this offseason telling you, hey, we're just going to add good players and it, it doesn't specifically matter where they fit. Uh, I think that would be maybe a little dishonest. I, I think well, they obviously want more shooting. And if that could come in the form of backcourt bench pieces, all the better. Um, I think, you know, riding Fred Van Vliet, this is four seasons in a row now that he's missed, I think, at least 18 games. 
I don't know that he's a guy who should lead the league in minutes per game uh, ever again. And, you know, that you can have that identity with your core group, but you stylistic versatility isn't just having everyone on the floor can play different styles. It's also, hey, maybe you have a change of pace center who's available for you against a Joel Embiid type. Um, not that they haven't done a good job on Embiid as is, um, but, you know, you want a, another look there. And maybe you do want another point guard so that you can run, you know, dual point guard stuff like you used to do when Kyle Lowry was in Toronto. So um, the nice, this this is kind of a good thing and a bad thing about their situation is that there are a lot of ways you could add to make this team better because they only have like seven good players that they trust. Um, but the challenge in that is, you know, what do you prioritize and what does the market give you? It's not like it's a very robust free agent market. They might have to overpay to retain Chris Boucher because there are just so few guys out there this year. And, and then, you know, the other big one is, and I know some Raptors fans don't like to hear this, if someone who fits and can raise your offensive profile enough becomes available, Gary Trent on an $18 million deal while young with a player option, but bird rights if he opts out, could be an interesting chip to build the trade around when you have all your own draft picks beyond this year um, and a few other things you, you could maybe attach to a Gary Trent. So uh, I think they're always looking for that kind of move as well. My answer is I don't know. There are so many, there are a lot of paths to them getting marginally better and not a lot of paths for them to jump into pure contender tier. I think that's a good way of putting it. And in, I just wanted to, you know, you're like them saying, we'll just want to add good players. I don't, I actually don't think that they're, it's, it's more that they, what, like the way you're describing what they think of as a good player is, is maybe a little more specific than it is for, for most teams. Um, which is funny because like the, the specificity is in their versatility, um, which is sort of a, a, a oddness, but, but they don't, um, there's, it doesn't seem like they're necessarily in the role in the market for single role kind of guys. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think they want, you know, other than maybe that center position, which I don't think they're going to spend big on a, on a guy who can't be versatile defensively. Like, you know, I, I was a little surprised this past off season that they weren't in on a Rashawn Holmes type at, at the price that he went, but I don't think they're going to go down the, Aaron Baines path again of we got to pay for a center so that we have a big body. Um, I think they, you know, all, all else equal, they'll, they'll go with the center, but, but they'd lean toward, you know, a, a more versatile type. Um, but yeah, the, the other thing is too, is like, what, a, what do they think they can coach up in guys? And Gary Trent's an interesting example of that where, you know, I don't think he's a, an otherworldly defender, but I certainly think Toronto's gotten more out of them than Portland did at that end, uh, especially in terms of fitting their style. That's a little, gives you some freedom to gamble. Um, so maybe there are some guys that, that they could see undervalued like that, that maybe fit their system a little better defensively, even if they're not pure, you know, one-on-one -on -one capable guys. So uh, I've got to go through the list of free agents and look at what that might look like. But yeah, I do think that there, there's a, they certainly have a type. Like it's not, it was a joke for a little bit about them having a type. And now it's not a joke. Like they, they literally did the thing where you build the whole plane out of six, eight forwards um, and Fred Van Vliet. So uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're looking for a type, but I, I do think they'd like a little bit of more, you know, certainly offensive versatility for next year. Sure. Um, so this has been great. Let's, uh, let's close up by quick thoughts on, on where you think, you know, 
we've done the thing where, and I always kind of get mad at this about like looking ahead instead of looking for what's going to happen this year. But I think, I think both of these teams are, you know, the, the, the future is, is, is kind of uh, brighter than the present. Um, but still, I mean, they're, they're both teams that are, that are still alive. And I think the, the Raptors especially have, could make some noise in the postseason given the sort of the discombobulation at the top of the standings. So where do you, where do you see, um, you know, either team kind of shaking out in the postseason and what is, um, for both teams, do they have to? Is there anything they have to accomplish in the playoffs for the season to be perceived as being successful, or have they kind of already already crossed that bridge? I think the Raptors have crossed it. Speaking only for their side, in, in that you know they're they've locked in that this is over a five hundred season. They've locked in that it blew away their win total. They locked in that it has been a developmental year for Scotty Barnes. They've locked in that. Pascal Siakam has rediscovered his, hey, maybe he's not going to make All-NBA third team, but if there were a fourth team, he'd be on it. Uh, he's rediscovered that form. And, and down the stretch here, some seven, I think seven of their last nine games are at home. They're finally going to get to play in front of an actual crowd for the first time in a couple of years, which is, you know, that's not nothing. But I think any home games they're playing games are just going to be such a it's going to be really emotional, like as a Toronto sports fan, and I imagine as a member of the Raptors organization, um, to just get to celebrate basketball and celebrate this team again in a in the city with a full audience. And, and you know, fingers crossed, COVID numbers don't go the other way on us. Um, I, I think there's there's been a lot accomplished in this year. Um, now, having said that, I think if I'm one of the top four teams in the East that are only separated by half a game, um, you know, you certainly with how close Chicago, Toronto, and Cleveland are. And with how close Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, and Philly are, you can't really do the thing where you play for a specific opponent. And sometimes that maybe backfires karmaically anyway. Uh, I think the Raptors would be a very, very annoying team to have, hey, you played 82 games to get a top seed in the playoffs. This is your reward because it's going to be an annoying series. It's going to be a very tough and physical series. And yeah, any of those four teams are going to be favored against the Raptors, but I think they're going to take a chunk out of you for what you look like moving forward uh, the rest of the playoff run. It's kind of funny because, like, I was, like that's exactly where I feel about the Cavs when you started off of, like, this season has been successful for Cleveland. They had to take a jump this year in their rebuild regardless. But kind of going into the year, like, you know, like, they talked, like, playing playoff uh, playoffs were, were an aspiration, but, like, an outside perspective, I was like, we kind of were all like, don't like play in seemed like that was, that was the, that should be the goal. Um, and because that would be, that would be the necessary jump for their young guys as they move forward. The success that they had early on building their, their defense, the way that they did and just kind of like, just, you know, like they have 41 wins, you know, like that was, I think like, you know, Vegas is, like one was like they had like 26 wins or something like that you know it's like they've blown away the win total that anybody thought that they would have this year to be in the conversation so for like a really long period of time like longer than I think a lot of people thought about the playoffs you know like the holding that six seed for a while obviously there's been some like recent you know disappointment because now that they are in the seventh um seed like and you know currently at a play in um spot you know, like they all want to make the playoffs. That's kind of the, that was their goal. And so, but regardless that I think like, you know, whatever, whatever, how this ever shakes out, 
at the end of the season if they if they stay at seven play a playing game and like whether they they get out of that play into the playoffs or if their season ends in the play-in like this has been a successful season they have taken the necessary steps forward they've seen the growth from guys like Evan they've seen the the jump from Darius Garland um Jared Allen even you know and and they've built something here with the with their young core um and I hate using that like core but like it's a way to describe them but like they've built something around these young guys that's sustainable um they've brought in pieces that you know um and and I think sorry even too like with Kevin Love you know you've seen a his contribution this year coming off the bench in that six man role um buying into that and just providing what he does off the bench has just been so crucial to their success and allowing their young guys to to flourish and kind of and build their chemistry so like regardless really how this shakes out bigger picture wise this is a very successful season for Cleveland in their step forward now building off of it is going to be what's interesting and curious of like where they go from here and um, I think a little bit of that sort of depends on where this shakes out at the end of the season Um, but you know, regardless, I think we saw the necessary jumps from all of the important pieces and collectively that like, this is successful and fun, which is, you know, something that wasn't last year. (laughs) I I don't think people like it's people often accuse like beat writers of being fans of the team. And it's, it's not that so much as being around a bad team is generally pretty miserable. Yes. Uh, as, as, as a as a life experience so it's yeah. just like you, your, your day-to-day is better because they're happier because you're not around a bunch of people who are pissed off all the times right um exactly. i want to th- th- thanks you both for coming on um this is this, there's a kind of a disturbing trend here when i i uh had adam Mars on a couple weeks ago to talk mvp and he refused to he refused to talk talk shit about uh joel Embiid in in, in favor of, of nicole Jokic's case and i feel like you both did completely high-roaded the rookie of the year conversation, which, you know, maybe, um, it, it, it's not that we desire in this kind of show. It's not getting. Um, but th- thanks a lot for coming on and uh, thanks folks for, for listening. Uh, you can follow uh, Kelsey's work at The Athletic um, and uh, Blake covering every sport and more at, at TSN. Um, at some point, Blake's going to come back and we're going to talk about wrestling. Um <laughs> And uh, thanks for listening to Colin Shots. And I will. I have. Uh, I'm going Hollywood the next two days. I've got uh, rescheduled from from this weekend. I've got uh, the showrunner of Hacks, uh, Jen Statsky, coming on, who will talk comedy and uh, her passion for the LA Clippers. And then on Wednesday, I have uh, Ronnie Barnes, one of the lead writers for uh, Winning Time, the uh, the Lakers show on um, on HBO. So I'm looking forward to, to both of those and hopefully you join me then. And thanks a lot for listening. Uh, talk soon.